Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start off the bat with I need a little grace this morning. Um, the past couple of days, I've been battling some cold or an allergies or I don't know what it is. And so I feel great, probably look terrible. If you say I look terrible, though, we'll fight. But uh, I keep randomly coughing. And then I cough to the point where like, I'm almost like, like I literally think I'm going to die. And so uh, if I do that this morning, we're just going to embrace that awkward moment. And I'll take a drink of water. I'm going to go ahead and lay some quick ground rules, though. If I pass out from coughing today, none of you better dare administer CPR, okay? Because if you do, if I come back to, I'll hit you. Um, if I die, I will haunt you, all right? So we're just going to go ahead and put that out there. Don't worry about it. I'll be okay. Um, turn to Romans 1 with me as we continue this series, The Genius of Jesus. Let me update us on a couple quick things I've had the last two weeks where I wasn't preaching. I did Pro Presenter one week. Um, which I screwed up if you weren't here for that and uh, pressed the buttons too early. And uh, last week I was able to sit under Pastor Tyler's preaching, which was a huge blessing. So I'm excited to be back. But some neat things have happened um, in our church. So currently we started uh, this past week. We have seven men going through the deacon interview process at our church with myself and Pastor Joe just seeking the Lord's will on who our next set of deacons would be. Our Finding Hope Center is still rolling. Um, if you've been over there in the last couple of weeks, you'll notice that it's very empty and there's a lot of stuff that has just been gone because we've helped so many families recently, which is a huge blessing. Just this past week, we helped a family all the way up in Mansfield. Uh, we helped a family down in Hilliard and then we also helped a family in Dublin and there's a family coming today actually to pick up a few items as well. And so it's amazing how God is con continuing to expand that. And then this morning, this was pretty wild. It's kind of a cool email to get when you're getting ready in the morning. Um, I got an email from a guy all the way over towards Cambridge that had found our radio program on 93.3 that's on Sundays at 7. And he asked if a pastor could call him to talk about his walk with Jesus and what that looks like. And so it's amazing how, uh, what's our phrase? Jesus is doing a lot with a dot, small dot on a map. But Jesus is expanding our influence and expanding our reach. But let me remind us too, this is to my, my folks listening on the radio online, um, those are cool tools, but get to church, right? Get to a local church where you live. Um, if you can get here, come here. But in-person church will always better be better than online church. Um, so get here if you're able to. All right, so we've been in this series, The Genius of Jesus, where we're looking at the gospel in the book of Romans. And we've seen just in these past few weeks that we've been journeying through chapter one. We said this will take us a couple of years to get through that Paul is giving this extensive explanation and understanding of the gospel. He spends the first 11 chapters explaining to us what the gospel is, giving this just extensive overview to this church in Rome. Remember, a church he didn't start, a church he hasn't been to, and a church that he really didn't know many people at this point. And so he may, helps them understand, this is the gospel I preach, this is the gospel of Jesus. Let's make sure our theology is clear. Then in chapter 12, which we'll get to a couple years from now, he transitions this gospel conversation, and he says, now that you understand the gospel, here's how it practically intersects your life. Here's how it changes how you live. But these next three weeks, I'm going to go ahead and lay the foundation here. We're talking about the wrath of God, and it's not going to be super fun, all right? Um, so you could have chosen to stay home and enjoy the 72-degree weather, but you chose to come to church, and you're stuck for the next 30 minutes. So, haha. -ha. all right? We are going to talk about the wrath of God, and we're going to explain why we have to talk about the wrath of God here in just a moment. This could, I believe, is one of the most important aspects for us to understand if we're going to truly understand uh, the gospel and the beauty of the gospel. So stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Romans chapter 1. 
We're going to read from verse 18 down through verse 20. And Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. God's not hidden, folks, if you didn't know that. Verse 20, For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. And as a result, it's a terrifying statement in Scripture, people are without excuse. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word for this day, for the gathering of the local church. God, we pray now that as we walk through these verses that the Spirit of God would teach us. Lord, would you give us soft hearts to hear from you, open ears to hear from you, obedient hands and feet to live out the truth, Lord. Would you give us an urgency with the gospel? Lord, knowing that men and women are without excuse because the creator of the universe has been clearly seen in his creation So may we be the avenues in which the gospel is taken to the world. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At some point in our lives, we've all been approached with a question similar to this. I have good news and I have bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Hey, where's my good news people at, by the way? Like if somebody said, good news, bad news, you're going to start with the good news. What about the bad news? Who's my bad? My people, right? Typically, if you're like me, you're going to start with the bad news because here's, here's how I think. Let me down, bring me back up, right? Take me to the bottom of the pit and then carry me back out. I want to start with the bad news and then you can give me the good news. And here's why we do that psychologically. And Pastor Joe kind of talked about this last week. For the good news to really have its full effect, we have to hear the bad news first. If we want the good news to actually be sweet and it's good news... We have to first hear the bad news. It's the way that the human brain is wired. Two weeks ago in Romans chapter 1, when Pastor Joe went through verses 16 and 17, he talked to this idea that the righteousness of God has been revealed to us in the gospel. And I love this thought that he gave us. Let me review this from two weeks ago. I thought this was so good. That Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because his confidence was in the gospel and not in himself. I've learned over these past four years working closely with Pastor Joe, every time I hear him preach, I start to wonder if I even understand the Bible myself, you know? He's one of the most brilliant Bible teachers that I think I've ever known. And that thought, I've just been chewing on that for the past couple of weeks. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because his confidence was in the gospel and it wasn't in himself. But now Paul is transitioning us. He says, all right, now it's time to get into the bad news. He's going to give us an in-depth understanding of the bad news of our sin and the bad news of God's wrath. We're going to get to the good news of the gospel eventually, but we have to start here with the bad news. This is why I said just a moment ago, um, this is going to be heavy. Because when we talk about the wrath of God, separation from God, sinners that are eternally doomed apart from God, this is tough stuff for us to understand But it also needs to remind us that good news is just on the other side. God didn't leave us in these verses, although he rightfully could have. God could have looked at us and said, you are separated from me, you are sinners, and you are hopeless, and that's your fault. But the gospel says God was not content leaving us there. Instead, God brings us to the other side through the good news of the gospel. And so if we want to understand the beauty of the gospel over these next several weeks, we have to start here 
with the wrath of God. So Paul starts our journey here in verse 18. He's showing us that we're guilty before a holy God, and he, he reveals three things to us. There's the first one if you're a note taker. Paul says, of, he speaks of God's revealed wrath. God's revealed wrath in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 17, we saw God's revealed righteousness. That through the power of the cross, God's righteousness was on display for us. We can be made right with God through the shed blood of Jesus. Yet the other side of that coin is important for us to understand is not just God's righteousness, but God's wrath. Look at verse 18 again. I want you to, to circle some words here. Those first five words, I would underline those if you have a hard copy of the scriptures. For God's wrath is revealed. Your Bible might say, I think this is a better way to understand it. For God's wrath is made clear. We have to start with the bad news. We have to start with the wrath of God. Because when we fully understand what the wrath of God is and how that affects us, then we're going to understand the necessity, that's the title of today's message, the necessity of the good news. And so Paul says, verse 17, God's righteousness has been revealed, but next to that also God's wrath has been revealed to us and revealed on humanity, against humanity. What does that mean? Let me explain to us for a moment the wrath of God. I'm really glad you showed up to church today because this probably is not going to encourage you, all right? God is righteous. In him there is no sin, and our God does not tolerate sin. Therefore, since you and I are sinners, Romans 3.23, we are wholly guilty before a righteous God. And God's wrath, the simplest definition I could give you this morning is this. It's his righteous judgment against mankind's sin. It's his judgment that can be seen, made clear, and that is revealed against us. But let me give us hope in the midst of God's wrath, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin and given your life to him, the wrath of God has already been expressed on the cross. Jesus absorbed God's wrath and his judgment against you in your place. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this just a few chapters later, that God proves his love for you and for me. That while we were sinners, we're guilty before God that Christ died for us. So how much more then since we've been justified by his blood, meaning we've been made right and we're not guilty anymore because of what Jesus did, will we be saved through Jesus from God's wrath? Apart from Jesus, we are hopeless when it comes to the wrath of God. If you reject Jesus as the avenue of salvation, the way to be forgiven of your sin, God's wrath will be expressed against you through eternal judgment. And that should terrify you. I, I hate that you all seen that, those, those memes before, that tattoo. Some people have that tattoo. If you have this, I'm really sorry. But where it says, only God can judge me. And you've seen the follow-up to that. Like, that should terrify you. I, I don't want to stand on my own before a holy God in judgment with his wrath against me. That should terrify us. I mean, Jesus says it in John chapter 3. He says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But look at this. The one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. It's awaiting those who reject Jesus. Now think about this, and, and Pastor Joe and I talked about this this week. God doesn't view our sin passively, although we want him to. God doesn't view our sin passively, although we want him to. If we're honest this morning, I think all of us wish that God would just kind of overlook our sin, 
That when we sin, that God would just kind of like turn his head and be like, oh, I didn't see that. Because at the, end of, at the end of the day, we're hopeful that everybody's just going to be okay. That, yeah, I gave my life to this Jesus thing, but those who didn't, God's just going to kind of passively look over their sin and they're going to be okay too. Um, it's all going to work out in the end. That's not what the Bible teaches. God does not view our sin passively. Let's think a, a couple more things about God's wrath here. First off, God's wrath is driven by his righteousness. We saw that in verse 17. I, I want to echo this statement again. God hates sin. Psalm chapter 5, verse 5. I mean, God despises sin. And if our God, one of his main character attributes, is righteousness, it's holiness, that means that sin is directly opposed to and contrary to the character of God. Therefore, when God expresses wrath and judgment against sin, it's driven by his character and who he is. If God is truly holy and righteous, then he has to judge sin. He can't simply overlook it because if God just overlooked sin at the end of days when judgment comes and we're all standing before the throne of Christ getting judged for our sin, for God to overlook anyone's sin would be a direct violation of his character. Therefore, he would no longer be God. God is righteous and he has to judge sin. Now, here's the other temptation for us. We hear that and like, yes, amen, that's true. I agree with that. Then we could maybe run to the, the, the other ditch, the other extreme. And we, we think of God's wrath and his judgment, something like this, that God sees sin and he just loses his temper and he lashes out against us. You ever done that to your kids before? I do this all the time. Happened in my house the last 24 hours. Your kids act like demons and you're just like, I'm going to grab a stick and I'm going to whoop you. All right? Columbus Police, if you're listening on the radio, that's a joke. I'm, I don't really do that. Right? But that's what we do. Our kids act out. And they do things contrary to what we've told them to do, and we just react. That's not how God operates. God is not reactionary in his wrath. No, God's wrath is driven by his righteous character. It's not a reaction to sin. It's a holy response to sin. There's a difference. It's not God lashing out against sinners. It's God saying, because of who I am, I can't leave this unpunished. I have to because my character drives me to this. Let me show you another verse. It'll be on the screen. 1 John 1, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. John writes this. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And then hear this phrase. In him, there's absolutely no darkness. Friends, with any, when anything opposes the character of God and his righteousness and his holiness, God pours out his judgment against that thing. Why? Because it's driven by his character, his righteousness. Second, God's wrath is what you and I are saved from on the cross. Thank Jesus. You see, we hear this simple phrase like this all the time, and I love this. Did, did Jesus die to save me from my sin? Yes. But don't miss this. Jesus died to save you and save me from the wrath of God. My sin invokes the wrath of God because of God's character, and God hates sin. So when Jesus was on that cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God against you and against me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, God made the one who did, not, who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's, it's known as the doctrine of imputation, if you're a theology nerd today. It means that my sin, which I hadn't even committed yet, but we serve a sovereign God who exists outside of time. You know God sees past, present, and future all at the same time. It's amazing to me. He knew that you were going to be born a sinner. He knew the sins that you were going to commit. And so what did God do? He imputed that sin onto Jesus, into Jesus, while Jesus was on that cross. And then God, in his holy, righteous judgment, expressed his wrath, poured out his wrath against Jesus on that cross. And here's where the good news comes in. If you've repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God for all eternity. Because Jesus willfully and willingly crawled onto that cross, because he willfully and willingly had your sin imputed into him, you and I will never experience the wrath of God. It's amazing to me. What's Paul go on to say? Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. I would circle godlessness and unrighteousness. We're going we're gonna to bring some definitions to those. What's Paul go on to say? God's wrath, righteous judgment against sin is revealed against two things. These are the very things that prove that you and I are guilty before God. And the first thing there, this is so important, is godlessness. What is that? I love this little simple definition. It's sins we commit against God. It's where you and I willfully choose to disregard God and disregard his commands. How many of you have heard or said this before? I know what God said, but. I know what God said, but I'm going to do this instead. You know how often we don't necessarily say that, but we live in that attitude or that posture? I know God wants me to do this. I know he outlined it this way. I know this is his plan. I know this is his command, but I'm going to choose to do this instead. Godlessness or sins against God. First John three chapter first John chapter three verse four. John writes it this way everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What is that? Lawlessness is the disregard of God's commands. Knowing what God's law said was his command says, and we say, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna do what I want to do. But Paul says not only is God's wrath poured out against sins against him, he, he uses this little word unrighteousness. That's sins that we commit against other people. Do you know that when you're not right with God, that overflows into every other physical um, um, interaction that you and I have? If we're not right with God, it changes the way we interact with other people, and we begin to sin against other people. Hey, here's a simple reminder for us. You know your sin never affects only you? Oh my gosh. Sin never affects only you. Ah, here we go. There's this phrase, and I've heard this recently. Have you heard this? You do you. I want to take a boot and slap somebody every time I hear that. You do you, I'll do me. My decisions affect me, your decisions affect you. You do you. That's a dumb statement because it's not true. It's not true. Every sin that I commit and that you commit doesn't only affect me. It affects other people. Every sin. We've all been to the, the park before. We did this a lot when we were, we were kids. You'd go to the pond and you'd go to the lake. And what do we always do at the shore? You either do one of two things. If you're a normal kid, you pick up little rocks and you skip them across the water. Yeah? If you're like me, your seven-year-old boy, what do you do? You pick the largest rock you can possibly find. And you try to heave-ho that thing right out into the lake every time. And what happens when we do that? That thing has an initial impact. And then the ripples go all the way out across that lake. 
You see, every decision that you and I make, every sin when we disregard God's command, that's that initial impact. We think, well, this only affects me, but the ripples prove otherwise. Every sin that we, you and I ever engage in does not only affect you, it affects those around you and even those often that you don't realize that it's affecting. Paul sums it up in verse 18. So God's wrath has been revealed against godlessness and unrighteousness. And then he says, people who by their unrighteousness, they're suppressing the truth. So God's pouring out his wrath against humanity because we've disregarded him and his commands. But then he goes on to say that that then we're in this like habitual posture of just suppressing the truth of God. Paul's telling us that human beings, we we aren't just um, ignorant of the truth. We're rejecting the truth. We know there's a God. We know he has a standard. Paul goes on to talk about this in chapter 2. We're going to see this in a few weeks. The law of the Lord has been written on our hearts, and we just willfully choose to disregard what God says. Paul says this is playing out in Rome. This is playing out in Greek culture. We see it today. How do we suppress the truth in our culture today? How do we suppress the truth of God's word? Here's a few things I think this is important. First, people will often seek to destroy the word of God, meaning they're going to fight against it. Have you heard these phrases before? Why would we believe that book? God's just a fairy tale. You've never seen him. Why would you worship some sort of being in the sky that you've never seen before? The word of God is outdated and not relevant to your life. Human beings have evolved over the the last several millions of years, and we're just evolving as a culture. What the Bible says is not relevant to who we are anymore. We've changed. The Bible only seeks to oppress people and to hold them down. We heard this before? What are people doing? They're fighting against the Word of God. Let me remind us, the Bible is timeless truth given to us by our Creator. It's not oppressive, it's liberating. If it wasn't liberating, oh my goodness, Y'all, the the scriptures are liberating for us. When you live in the confines of what the word of God says, it's one of the most freeing lives you can live. It's part of the reason that Paul said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's not only freedom from our sin, it's freedom to live the life that God intended for you to live. It's why when we live outside of the confines of God's word, that we always have to justify it and medicate it and make excuses for it. We've got to live in the confines of what God says, and people are going to continue to fight against God's word. Here's the second one. How do we suppress truth? We disregard God's word. I know what God said. We said this a minute ago, but I don't care. I know how God wants me to live. I know his design, but that's not what I want to do. My feelings tell me this. God's word says this. I'm going to believe my feelings instead. We we, we just disregard what God says. Too many Christians, and I'm careful using that phrase, too many Christians, we've become okay living opposed to Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Remember what Paul said there? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? That's the disregard of God's truth. Yeah, I know God says this, but I'm going to do this, and then I'm just going to be covered by grace. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2, no, if you've died to your sin, how can you still live in it? It doesn't make sense. We've got to stop disregarding what God said. That's That's a dangerous line to walk, by the way. I know God said it, but I'm going to do my own thing and just trust he'll forgive me. That's a dangerous line to walk. Or what do we do? We distort the word of God. I know God, oh man, I know God said this, but what he actually meant was this. Be so careful with that. 
I know God said this, but what he actually meant was this. That's called progressive theology. It's seeking new truth in the scriptures. Here's a good rule of thumb for you. If you ever hear a Bible teacher tell you that they've discovered something, some new truth in the Bible, nine times out of ten, they're probably a false teacher. Run as fast as you possibly can. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. The Word of God is timeless. It meant the same thing it did 2,000 years ago that it means now in 2022. It is a timeless book given to us by our Creator. And what does Paul say? He says, you got to be careful because the human tendency and the human condition is to reject and suppress the truth of God's Word, to live out our sin. And if that's true of us, then God's wrath is against us willingly rejecting truth and exchanging it for lies. Paul says we're condemned. But not only that, Paul says we continue to be condemned because there's evidence of God around us, this revealed evidence. You know, Paul shows us in verse 19 that no one will have the ability to stand before God at judgment and say that they didn't know he existed. Why? Because Paul makes it clear, God's not hidden himself from humanity. I mean, no one, I read one author, just simply wrote it this way, you won't be able to arrive in eternity and charge God with hiding from you. Not going to be able to do it. What's Paul saying in verse 19? Let's read this again. Since what can be made known about God is, circle the word, underline it, put it in bold, evident among them, because God's shown it to them. Friends, God's made himself known among us through his creation, I mean, you can't, we're going to talk about this next week. You can't walk outside and see the, the absolute creative, I mean, just intricacies of our God and not know there's not one. Now, what do we often do? We attribute it to other things, other processes. Paul says, ah, you're without excuse. God's made himself known. Now, a couple of distinctions I want us to make here. Understand, this is not intimate personal knowledge of God that we can have in creation this is the ability to know that there is a creator, facts about our God, to have knowledge that he exists. We know that through his creation. Again, theology nerd, here's two little phrases for you. God reveals himself to humanity in, in two ways. There's special revelation and there's general revelation. When we talk about special revelation, that's what we know about God through the scriptures. It's how we know that we can have an intimate, personal, close relationship with the God of the universe. General revelation is different. It's what can be made known about God through creation, simple facts about him, that he does exist. David talks about this in Psalm chapter 19. I want to read these six verses. This is the general revelation of God we see in creation. It says in verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they're pouring forth speech, and night after night they're proclaiming knowledge. There's no speech, there's no words where their voice is not heard. So David's just talking about the sky right now. Verse 4, their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun. Verse 5, it's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running the course. He's talking about the orbit of the sun that we see in the sky. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other, and nothing is hidden from its heat. What does David show us? Just general revelation of God in Psalm 19. What do we know about God from these verses? Verse number one, he's glorious. Verse number 1b, he's creative. Verse number two, he can be seen. Verse number three, creation speaks of him without speaking. Verse number four, the whole universe is speaking of his existence. Verse number five and six, he's really, really big. 
Is that enough knowledge of God to save you? No, you need special revelation. But what does general revelation tell you? He's really, really big, and you might want to get to know who he is. The creation screams that. I read one person this week. They said, God has written two books to humanity, nature and scripture, and we're going to be held accountable for both. Nature is God's impersonal way of knowing us. Scripture is God's personal way that we can know him. I love that. And we're accountable for both without excuse. Verse number, or verse number 20, point number three, we see God's revealed punishment. The most terrifying verse in the Bible is right there. That we're without excuse. Because yeah, creation doesn't give us a full picture of God. It doesn't give us the gospel, but it does show us that there is a God. And it tells us things about him. I mean, look again, I, I want to read that again. The end of verse 20. As a result, people are without excuse. Uh, that verse haunts me when I think about it. Because we can look at creation, y'all, and know that there's something bigger than me and different from me that created all that I see. I don't know about you. I've never made a tree before. And I don't think I can. But when I look at a tree, I know that there's something bigger than me and different from me that created that tree. God's invisible character can be seen through his visible creation. And because he can be seen and known, Paul says we have the opportunity to know him. And here's the truth, and this is where it gets so difficult as we close. The truth is that although our God can be known and we have the opportunity to know him, we don't. Often what we do is we distort that truth. And we start to attribute other things to the, the creative masterpiece that God put in place. And we say, you know what? Pastor Joe gave me this illustration this week. And it's, we're going to talk about this next week. But it just it helped me understand these verses. He said, just imagine for yourself that you go out into creation. You see the expanse of the sky, the beauty of God's creation. Then you go and you get yourself a big piece of concrete. You carve it out into the statue of whatever animal you want. Some four-footed creature, as Paul says later in these verses. You've seen the expanse of the creation. You carve out this little concrete statue. You step back now as a human being and you go, that thing I just made actually made all of this. You see the insanity of that? Yet that's what the Romans were doing. That's paganism. When we attribute God's creative work to anything other but him, anything else but him. And that's what human nature does. Rather than turn to God, we turn from him. And that's why Paul can confidently say, we're without excuse. So let me close with this thought. That phrase, without excuse, if you're a note taker, I'd write this down. That means that you're without any legal defense. You're without any legal defense. That word is only used two times in the New Testament, right here and in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, talking about this section of Scripture. Meaning that when you stand before God, you're guilty because you've distorted, denied, and disregarded His Word. Distorted, denied, and disregarded who He is. And there's legal fees that we can't pay. And as a result, we've been sentenced to death and there's nothing we can do about it. But that's where we have an advocate in Jesus. You see, the gospel is in every page of the scriptures. I don't want us to miss that. When we're standing there before the judge condemned to death with no way of paying for it, I love that picture, you've heard this before, of Jesus stepping into the courtroom with the legal fees and saying, I'll pay the debt and I'll die the death that they deserve. 
I'll pay the debt and die the death that they deserve. Because the bad news of the gospel is we deserve God's wrath and it's coming for sinners. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus stands in our place and he absorbs what we deserved. Dying the death that we couldn't die to give us his life that we don't deserve. That's the gospel. So friends, it's a simple question. We ask this every week. Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you have to stand before God on your own and for eternity absorb God's wrath and be the recipient of that judgment forever. You'll never be able to pay it off. But when you repent of sin and put your faith in Jesus, His righteousness is credited to your account. And for eternity, you will never have to endure the wrath of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for these few moments we've had together in your word. And God, I pray that in the heaviness that can be the wrath of God, that God, we wouldn't miss the beauty that is the gospel. We're so thankful that we have an advocate in Jesus who didn't leave us in our sin, who didn't leave us in that position of judgment, who didn't leave us on our own to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus who steps in between and Jesus who endures that for us. So God, I pray now as we sing that it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.